Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. A note of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast, bringing you high-profile and under-the-radar cases from across the country for the week of June 7th, 2019. I'm Owen Michael. Podcast co-host Billy Jensen is at CrimeCon in New Orleans this weekend. We'll check in with him in just a moment to update a breakthrough in a New Hampshire cold case. This week, we've got a Connecticut mother of five goes missing during a legal custody battle with her estranged husband, who's just been charged, along with his girlfriend, with hindering prosecution in the case. A little girl in Utah is found only after her uncle makes a deal to avoid the death penalty. Newlyweds argue after a baseball game. How did the new wife die? Her phone tells the tale. And an Ohio doctor is charged with 25 counts of murder. But first, investigative journalist Billy Jensen spent considerable time examining the Bear Brook murders, also known as the Allenstown Four in New Hampshire. Let's hear from him. All right. So, Billy Jensen, yep. our investigative uh, journalist who's been following uh, in fact, examining quite closely the uh, Bear Brook murders, also known as the Allenstown Four in New Hampshire. Uh, for some quick background, two bodies were found buried in barrels in the woods of Bear Brook State Park in New Hampshire in 1985. Fifteen yeah. years later, two more bodies were found in a second barrel close by in 2000. Thursday, officials announced that three of the bodies have been identified. The fourth one is still unidentified. That's a child. Um, what happened yesterday? Well, yeah, it was uh, very exciting news. We knew the news for about six months. We knew who the uh, the woman and the two, the identities of the woman and the two children in the barrels were. Uh, the police wouldn't let us talk about it, so we had to sort of just sit on the information. But I talked to, and the amazing thing about this case is that, once again, it was solved by a citizen detective, a woman named Rebecca Joy Heath. She uh-huh. had been looking in Ancestry, Ancestry.com, in the message boards, people were searching for relatives, and she looked at um, at this particular woman, and she had two children, and remembered Airbrook, put it together, and then uh, you know they did a DNA test, and it turns out it matched. So um, chalk one up for another uh, group of citizen detectives. You know this is a case that I've been covering for uh, a long time now, about five or six years, 
it um, it always hooked me because this guy was whenever anybody asked me who the worst serial killer is, I once I learned who the guy's name was because we didn't know who he was for a while. Right. I'd say this guy, and the reason is Terry Rasmussen is the worst serial killer. This is what he would do. He would sidle up to a woman with children, start molesting the kids, kill the woman, and then use those kids as more to get his next victim, who also had kids, and then kill those kids. I can't think of a worse serial killer than that. Yeah, it's really horrifying. uh, Forget about you throw away Gundy, you throw away even Golden State Killer. Uh, This guy is the worst of the worst when you think about what he did to not only them, but their children and how they use the children as a lure for other people uh, to get other victims. So, um, you know, this case, yeah, the, the barrels were found in 85. Uh, they did not know who they were. And uh, then again in 2000, and how does a sort of the whole family unit go missing and nobody's looking for them? So it's mm-hmm. been a long, long time going. It's a big part of my book, um, uh, Chase Darkness With Me, which comes out August 13th. And it's also... Um, uh, you know, I've covered it a lot on TV shows. I've covered it a lot everywhere. But it's great to, you know, thinking about that I was in those woods three years ago, walking through them with a bunch of other citizen detectives trying to get answers. Now we've got we've got some answers now, but we still have a lot more because this guy we have, still have a lot more questions because this guy definitely did kill more people, and mm-hmm. that's that's the thing that I'm focusing on, on right now is trying to solve some other cases and resolve some other cases by pinning him on on him. Yeah, we've got some great stuff on TrueCrimeDaily.com of you uh, actually in the field there visiting the sites and talking to uh, some of the investigators as well as the prosecutor, et cetera. This guy, Terry Rasmussen, uh, which we know now is actually his real name, right? He went by multiple aliases uh, throughout the years in the 80s and 90s uh, as he traveled across the country. He's a California or he's a Phoenix guy, right? Uh, who started in, yeah, around Phoenix. He was in Texas. He was in Northern California, Southern California. And, um, uh, he went all around, and he would take women, he would separate them from their families, and then kind of, you know, uh, um, you know, once they were isolated, he would do whatever he wanted with them. Um, and I'm talking about isolated, not just uh, from a physical sense, but also from a communication Sure, sure, which makes sense in this case. And, and by the way, we should say uh, the, they identified these, these bodies as Marlies Elizabeth Honeychurch, Marie Elizabeth Vaughn, and Sarah Lynn McWaters. Uh, we talked about uh, they basically Marlisa's family knew that uh, they'd been tipped off uh, weeks ago, but they yeah. wanted to identify the fourth person. But they're, they basically went ahead and, and uh, released this information because they're not having success yet with this fourth victim, who's mm-hmm. a child. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, the one case that I'm really working on now that we believe is a is a case that he is involved in. There was a woman that was found in a refrigerator. Uh, in a ditch in Northern California. Wow. Uh, we call her the woman in the refrigerator, and it has all the earmarks of him, uh, you know, somebody that was uh, trying to hide a body and um, not buried, but actually in a um, in, in the man-made, you know, uh, in, item. In a container. Uh-huh. In a container. Um, what was uh, the attack? Same, same, um, same uh, blunt force trauma to the back of the head. There was also, he was an electrician by trade. There was also electri- electrical kind of stuff uh, with her. Uh, it, he, he looks really good for it. So we're, the first thing we got to do, though, is identify who she is. So we're going mm-hmm. through those, uh, those, that process now of trying to get that DNA. Do we know what uh, Marlies Honeychurch's relationship was to uh, Rasmussen? Yeah, she, it turns out she was kind of, you know, dating him. 
Yeah, and that he he did the same thing that he did with other people. He kind of he took them away from where their families were, both physically and communicative, and then brought them um, uh, to someplace else. Yeah. yeah, I mean, she was uh, basically from Southern California, right? La, uh, La Puente. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. And ended up in in New uh, in uh, New Hampshire, which is uh, in, yeah, in the middle the, of the woods. Yeah, exactly. And the uh, you know, I spoke to her sister. Um, she was right before the uh, press conference, right before she was going to meet with the FBI. And uh, you know, the FBI told them on Monday uh, that it was confirmed, but we all kind of knew. But the FBI finally told them on Monday that it was confirmed. Uh, she, uh, they flew them out to New Hampshire. She met. Then they had a meeting with the FBI where they could answer any questions about mm-hmm. you know what happened. And then mm-hmm. they had the press conference. So uh, did they, how, so are they certain then that Marley's Honeychurch was murdered by Terry Rasmussen full stop? Um, I, I mean, how certain can you be in mm-hmm. something like this? But it's pretty damn certain. Yeah. So he was, I, uh, I, I, yeah, yeah, I put money on it. Yeah, I mean, his DNA is at the scene other than the fact that um, he's related to one of the victims that's there. That's how they they were able to put everything together um, in a weird and convoluted way. So, uh, you know, I think that it's there's still many, but we still need to get the identification of the fourth victim. Mm -hmm. And we still need to find where Denise Bowden's body is, who is another one of his potential victims. And then also the woman in the refrigerator. And there's a couple others too, that we really need to find what's out. Your, what's your speculation about the fourth uh, victim uh, in Bear Brook? I, you know, it's, um, you know, somebody, in, it's not only the fourth victim, but, but also who her, you know, who she's related to mm-hmm. um, another, you know, it's just, uh, it's going to open up a whole nother bunch of questions. That's what this case does. You find out, a little bit of information about something, and then it just it just balloons into all these other questions that you have. Right. But luckily, there's good people. You know, so I'm calling you from Crime Town right now. Uh, on stage, uh, to the left of me is CC Moore, who works uh, with Parabon Labs, and she's been able to identify a ton of murderers um, uh, through familial DNA. Paul Holes was just on my podcast partner at Murder Squad, who was able to identify uh, the Golden State Killer using the same system. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we also have all these podcasters here. I'm going to walk into podcast row right now. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking at the true crime garage guys right now. Uh, there's Nick. I see a generation Y guys, mile marker. I see. I'm sure one the talk of the, the uh, crime. The crime the junkie the is there. <laughs> so, um, I mean, this is, this is where people are at right now. So just uh, uh, real quick, as far as uh, uh, Terry Rasmussen goes, he died in prison, right? And he was <clears throat> he was incarcerated for the murder of Yoon Sun June, uh, who's a California resident. That was sort of it's speculated. You, that's probably one of the first victims. Can you talk about who Denise Bowden is or was? Yeah, rather? Denise Bowden. Denise Bowden was um, a woman who he was, you know, dating or hanging out with in New Hampshire. And um, uh, that was he a lure. What's that? Was she like a lure? Um, she she um, she wasn't really a lure. She was a target, or you know, the kids were usually used as lures. So, uh-huh. uh, uh, you know, and that that was. Um, but we still don't know where her body was uh, is right now. Um, that's one of the crazy things about this case is that once we identified that he had been hanging out with with Denise Bowden, everybody was sure that the woman in the barrel was going to be Denise, and it turns out it wasn't. So uh, now that we have the answers for who the woman in the barrel is, now it's just a, you know connecting all the rest of the dots. 
Right. We have to hope that uh, this basically snowballs into a bunch of other stuff that the families will get justice for. Yeah. Obviously, you suspected of multiple other murders. And uh, as you say, this might be both in quality and quantity. Uh, it could be one of the worst uh, serial killers we know uh, in the country. Definitely. What, uh, what's, uh, what's, what's, what's the next thing that you expect to happen in the case uh, as we wrap up here? Next thing, it's going to take a while for they have to extract the DNA of the, uh, of the last victim, the fourth victim. That's going to, it's a different type of process. It's a newer process. And, uh, that's going to take a while. And then from there, you have to do a familial DNA search. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a possibility that now, they might not have to go through all of that. Uh, they might can do, maybe they can just do a one-on-one search if somebody sees this press conference and then remembers who this little girl was. So, uh, you know, as we get more information, more people will pick up the phone and then, and then call. So right. I think it's going right. to be, yeah, I think, I think a lot of answers are going to be, uh, are going to be gotten, but, um, not so much though. We're going to have to do that due diligence with the girl in the refrigerator because it's, uh, it's one of those things where, um, nobody, you know, her case has been out there for a while, but nobody nobody knows, you know, potentially who she was. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, let's hope that uh, this basically breaks the dam and uh, a bunch yeah. of stuff uh, uh, comes forward uh, tumbling uh, towards resolution because there's a lot of stuff out there, especially in this particular time, as we talked about earlier in the 80s, when this guy's uh, suspected crime spree happened, there was a lot less... Uh, trackability with the lack of online and, and you know, yep. people were, were sort of uh, not as well connected. So uh, there's a lot of blind spots from that particular period. So definitely anything else you'd like to add? Nope. That's it. I got to go so, back into this, uh, this thing here, but yeah. What? Yeah. So, so Bill, thanks for uh, talking to us from uh, crime con in New Orleans. Uh, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled podcast uh, next week uh, in the interim. Um, Tell us again, what's the name of the book and when's it coming out? Yeah, so the book's name is Chase Darkness with Me. There are two chapters on this story. There's also chapters on Golden State Killer and a bunch of murders that I was able to solve. And uh, it comes out August 13th, and you can pre-order it right now. We'll put a link um, uh, underneath the uh, uh, in the comments there to uh, if you want to pre-order it. We're going to go fast. Well, sounds good. Uh, All right. Please uh, solve some crimes when you're in the uh, convention there, and um, we'll talk to you next week. Will do. Thanks so much. All right. All right. Thanks a lot, Bill. For our next case uh, out of Connecticut, covering uh, Jennifer Dulos, a Connecticut mother of five. She was last seen on May 24th driving her Chevy Suburban in New Canaan, Connecticut, after dropping her kids off at school. Five days later, Jennifer missed a Wednesday morning court date on May 29th. A custody hearing had been scheduled for Jennifer and her estranged husband, Fotis Dulos. Jennifer, 50 years old, filed for a divorce in 2017. The couple had married for 13 years when she filed. Jennifer and Fotis have five children together, ages 8 to 13 years old. In court documents related to the divorce, Jennifer Dulos stated, quotes, I am afraid that my husband will harm our children to punish me. And, quote, my husband has threatened to kidnap our children. On June 19, 2017, the day before Jennifer Dulos filed for divorce, her husband, Fotis, called 911. Quotes, I am worried about my wife and kids because they left to go to New York and I haven't been able to get in touch with them, he told the dispatcher on the call. 
Also in 2017, after she filed for divorce, court documents show that Jennifer also stated she was, quote, terrified for her family's safety, especially since discovering the gun, since my husband has a history of controlling, volatile, and delusional behavior. Fotis had his visitation rights suspended for a time in 2018 by the court for allegedly lying to the judge in the custody case. This year, from March to May, Fotis was prohibited from having private conversations with his kids or to speak to them in a foreign language. He's Greek by birth because he was reportedly encouraging them to lie. In April of this year, Fotis Dulos asked for a court-appointed attorney for the children, claiming his wife was turning them against him. That's what the May 29th court date was set to determine before Jennifer went missing. Police served, uh, served a search warrant on May 31st at Fotis's Farmington home. Farmington, Connecticut is about 70 miles north of New Canaan, where Jennifer was last seen. Two days beforehand, police reportedly found traces of blood and suspected blood splatter, splatter excuse me, in Jennifer's New Canaan home, and evidence suggested someone had tried to clean it up. An arrest warrant states, quote, based upon the crime scene processing, investigators came to the consensus that a serious physical assault had occurred at the scene and Jennifer Dulos was the suspected victim. The Farmington home is where the Dulos family lived until the split. After Jennifer and Fotis split up and Jennifer moved to New Canaan, Fotis's girlfriend moved into the Farmington house with him. This week on Sunday, police announced 51-year-old Fotis Dulos was arrested along with his 44-year-old girlfriend, Michelle Troconis. They were both arraigned Monday on charges of tampering with evidence and hindering prosecution. Michelle Troconis posted bail and was released later that day. Fotis Dulos remains held on $500,000 bond. He appeared in court in an orange jumpsuit Monday morning with his arms and legs cuffed. Neither entered a plea this week. Fotis Dulos, who is a Greek immigrant, is a custom, he's a custom luxury home builder. He has a history of legal and financial problems related to his business. The New York Post reports that on May 24th, the day Jennifer was last seen, Fotis and Michelle Chaconis allegedly visited more than 30 locations in a four-mile area of Hartford, Connecticut, to get rid of items, including a bloodied kitchen sponge and clothing, according to the couple's arrest warrants. Surveillance video reportedly shows the couple dumping garbage bags and trash bins at each location. Cadaver dogs have been searching a garbage dump in Hartford, seeking evidence of human remains. An arrest warrant also mentions surveillance video shows a man, quotes, inserting an item into a storm drain on a Hartford street. That item has been identified as a license plate belonging to Fotis Dulos that was altered. Neighbors reportedly told police that on Saturday, May 25th, the day after Jennifer was last seen, loud metal banging was heard coming from a house in New Canaan. The sound was loud enough to wake neighbors and had dogs barking for hours, according to the Stamford Advocate newspaper. Police were searching the 7,000-square-foot house and the surrounding property this week. Jennifer and Fotis's five children have been staying with their maternal grandmother in Manhattan. The 85-year-old woman is now seeking custody of the children. Jennifer's mother also claims Fotis Dulos owes her more than $2.5 million in loans. On Thursday, investigators said they've received at least 225 tips in the case and had gotten about 70 responses to requests for surveillance video from businesses and residents in the New Canaan area. We will, of course, have updates to this case on TrueCrimeDaily.com as they happen. Our next case is out of Utah. Elizabeth Shelley, five years old, went missing on Saturday, May 25th in Logan, Utah, which is about an hour north of Salt Lake City. 20 minutes south of the Idaho border. 
She had last been seen the night before. Her mother's fiancé called 911 to report her missing Saturday morning. We woke up and the front door is wide open and we can't find Lizzie, he said on the call. More than 200 law enforcement and rescue workers searched for the little girl through the rest of the Memorial Day weekend in Utah and Idaho. Five days after she went missing, Elizabeth's 21-year-old uncle, Alex Whipple, was charged with kidnap and murder. His attorney said Whipple told investigators where to find the girl's body. Alex Whipple was charged with aggravated murder, child kidnapping, obstruction of justice, and desecration of a human body last week. Whipple had been detained by police at about 3 in the afternoon on the Saturday that uh, five-year-old Elizabeth was reported missing. He was taken into custody for probation violation. Police say he had a marijuana pipe, an unopened 24-ounce can of beer, and a metal baseball bat with him when police found him. Police said Whipple had dark stains that appeared to be dried blood on his pants and that he started licking his hands and trying to wipe his hands clean when they encountered him. Police say he initially lied about where he was the night before, but then admitted that he had visited his sister's house at the sister and her fiancé's invitation. Whipple told police he had been drinking that night and went for a walk alone. He reportedly left his phone, his hat, and his skateboard at his sister's house, items that were still there Saturday morning when Elizabeth was reported missing. He also told them, quote, alcohol makes him black out, and sometimes he does criminal things when he blacks out. Asked directly if he took five-year-old Elizabeth, he, quote, did not admit he was responsible, but he also never denied he was responsible, according to police. As police searched Elizabeth's home and surrounding property, they found a broken knife with blood on it. The knife matched a silverware set in the home. They also found the scraps of Elizabeth's clothing hastily buried under dirt and bark. Later DNA testing confirmed Elizabeth's blood was found on her uncle Alex Whipple's watch, his sweatshirt, and on the recorded, excuse me, on the recovered knife. Alex Whipple had a domestic violence conviction in 2016, and in 2017 he reportedly stole a car and led police on a pursuit before he was arrested. On Thursday of this week, Alex Whipple was also charged with rape and sodomy of a child. Whipple had apparently shared the location of Elizabeth's body in exchange for the removal of the death penalty in the case. She was found in a yard close to her home, about a half a block away. She wasn't buried, but she was covered in debris, Alex Whipple's attorney told reporters. Again, we'll have updates to this case as soon as they're available. Uh, expect more developments next week on TrueCrimeDaily.com. Our next case is out of St. Louis. Alyssa Martin was 27 years old when she fell to her death from the seventh floor of a parking garage in St. Louis this Sunday. It was about 1.45 in the morning, hours after the Cubs played the Cardinals in nearby Bush Stadium Saturday night. Someone called 911 to report that a woman had fallen from the garage roof onto a ramp seven stories down at the Stadium East parking garage. Officers arrived within minutes and found Alyssa Martin on the ground with 30-year-old Bradley Jenkins straddling her body covered in blood. A police report noted Jenkins appeared intoxicated and agitated. Alyssa Martin and Bradley Jenkins were married just two weeks ago on May 22nd in Las Vegas. They worked together for the Illinois Department of Corrections. They were both prison guards and they got engaged last October and they had attended the Cubs Cardinals game with some co-workers that Saturday evening. They said Alyssa and Bradley had been arguing during the game. A St. Louis Metro police detective investigating the scene noted that Bradley Jenkins, quotes, told me several lies when he was questioned, stating he hadn't been physical with Alyssa and that he hadn't been with her when she fell. On the seventh floor of the parking garage, police found Alyssa Martin's cell phone. It was still recording. 
Police said Alyssa had started recording video on her phone while she and Bradley were in the garage earlier. The investigating detective wrote, quotes, She then turned the camera toward this defendant, and he was shown on camera. They were arguing. Police say Alyssa is heard on the video yelling at Bradley Jenkins to stop punching her in the face. That's when she drops her phone. Quotes, Shortly after that, you hear her scream as she falls, and you hear the thump of her body hitting the ground, the detective noted. An autopsy is being performed to determine Alyssa Martin's exact cause of death. Bradley Jenkins was arrested on assault charge for now. He was held on $100,000 cash-only bail. He could face a homicide charge pending autopsy results. We'll let you know how that goes on TrueCrimeDaily.com. Next case out of Ohio. A Columbus, Ohio doctor was arrested and charged with 25 counts of murder after he turned himself in on Wednesday of this week. 25 hospital patients died after being given overdoses of painkillers, and authorities allege Dr. William Hussell deliberately administered the drugs to the victims. Many of the dead patients were seriously ill, according to the results of a six-month investigation. The Franklin County, Ohio prosecutor said Hussell was administering doses of fentanyl at a level that they internally believed were inappropriate and not for a legitimate purpose. He said the doses were designed to hasten the death of the patients that were being treated. The doses were reportedly between 10 and 40 times larger than the considered medically appropriate. William Hussell was fired from the Mount Carmel Health System in December after working there from 2015 to 2018, and his medical license was revoked. An investigation there determined Hussell had ordered potentially fatal doses for 29 patients, five of whom may have had a chance for their conditions to improve before they died, according to investigators. At least six more patients received excessive doses as well. At least 25 wrongful death lawsuits have been filed against Hussell, as well as against the Mount Carmel Health System. The hospital system has publicly apologized and has settled some of the cases already. Hussell was reportedly not removed from his position until four weeks after concern was raised last fall. A hospital spokesperson said three more patients died from overdoses ordered by Hussell during those four weeks. Hussell pleaded not guilty to the 25 counts Wednesday. Each count carries a penalty of 15 years to life in prison if he's convicted. I've been a prosecutor for 22 years and have not seen a 25-count indictment during those years, said Franklin County Prosecuting Attorney Ron O'Brien. Hussell's attorney spoke out saying his client did not intend to kill anyone. It's important that everyone understand that the patients that we are talking about are end-of-life patients, said the attorney. They were going to die whether Dr. Hussell was on or whether another doctor was on. Police said the families of the deceased patients did not consider what happened, quote, mercy treatment. I'll let you know more as that develops. In the meantime, check out our content on YouTube and Facebook and truecrimedaily.com. And don't forget to download our weekly podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Also, if you have comments or questions about the show, call us up and leave a message at 888-548-9758. We'd love to hear from you. Be advised your recording may be aired in any of our future podcasts. It's 888-548-9758. Call us and leave a comment. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily Podcast reminding you, don't do crimes. (laughs) 